0: Hello, hello, what's up, what's good, hey up, bonjour, welcome to the Any Given Runway show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, dedicated, artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person is a scholar. Our second to last 2020 recap episode, and today we feature two amazing humans from the United Kingdom. The man who can't stop running, Brendan Rendell, and the man who loves to say yes, Dave Cornthwaite. Brendan Randall was first featured on the show on episode 123 in July, as he was in the midst of running a marathon every single day of the month to raise money for the Chester Zoo. Let me repeat that sentence again. Brendan was running a marathon every day in hopes to raise money for the Chester Zoo. He successfully completed his challenge. Brendan clocked over 1,200 miles, and each day he did it wearing a variety of animal costumes in hopes to cheer people up and and make people smile along the way. It was a fantastic conversation and he's an amazing human and we were fortunate to have him on the show. If I had told you when you were making that bet, if I would had sat in and been like, hey, guess what? By you taking this bet, it's gonna kickstart you into a world of running for years. What would you have said?
1: I would have said, Um, I would have said see you back in the clubs in three months when I've done this half marathon because I really did I did when I set off on this journey I didn't I didn't I didn't think that I would keep doing like adventure runs. I thought it would just be the half marathon a bit like a tick list but then obviously as you grow and you develop one thing leads to another and then you get inspired so I would never even at that stage thought I mean I remember crossing the line of that that half marathon and thinking how on earth do you ever run a marathon because that in my head you'd have to do that course again and that course to me just seemed so long at that time so yeah I don't think I would have thought then
0: (laughs) (laughs) so after the bet and after your first run and you, you mentioned the health effects that you're having the benefits how did your running progress how often did you run and enter competitions from then
1: yeah, so shortly after my half marathon, because obviously that distance I had a lot of, you know, extra miles in my um, legs. So about, I think it was about a month later, I did the Manchester 10K um, and I I ran that in 38 minutes, 05. Mm. Um, and then that was really, that was quite impressive. Um, and then I entered, I stayed around the half marathons and 10Ks for a good part of two two years. I I did, I stopped drinking completely stopped going out uh, joined the gym and I really really got into that real structure and and the discipline but it was a trip to malawi and africa in 2008 that would really change my whole thought process and would then go on to inspire my other choices within adventure running and probably would be classed as ultra running i suppose
0: yeah yeah before we talk about that trip how How else was your as you, as time progressed, how else was your body and mind changing? how else you mentioned you know you were you were getting rid of destructive habits and you having these positive ones. So what were some of the other things you were seeing about your life?
1: um well you, I, I was losing a lot of the weight that I'd carried for years um you You were more energized, I mm-hmm. felt a lot more energized and focused. Um, you know you get the runners high um, I met lots of new friends through the whole running community it's an incredible. Um, a bu- uh, like a bonus um, and I think it was just I loved exploring the city by foot um, and just get it going you know following the canal pass out of Manchester um, and I really started to discover through running the amazing outdoors and how all of us I think are walking less now and getting outside is so positive for for so many reasons people's mental health or just disconnecting from our social media from our tv from we're bombarded by lots of negativity but when you're running you can just you can have that escapism in so many ways so it was like it was like my time in some ways a lot of people always ask me and I suppose the the closest way to describe it is it's for me it's like mindfulness I, I don't follow mindfulness but that's the the best way to explain it that you're just completely engrossed in all your senses and in those moments. And that's a beautiful place to get to because you're not thinking about, oh, what am I going to do tonight or what am I going to do this morning? You're just completely listening to that bird singing or listening to the crunch of your trainers, depending on, on what surface you're running on. So it just, it just became part of me, I think.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> well said. I think that's the perfect way to describe it. So tell me about the first trip to Africa in 2008. What was the reason behind that, and, um, and how did that experience change you?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I bumped into a friend um, that I used to go clubbing with a lot. I worked in a bar in Manchester, and he just said to me, he said, oh, Brennan, you're looking really quite healthy. And I said, well, you're not going to leave this, but I've really got into running and fitness. And, and um, he said, oh, there's a team going to Malawi through ActionAid. Um, maybe you'll be interested. So I went along to the, the evening and I signed straight up and it was a three-week cycle across Malawi. Um, obviously, Malawi is one of the poorest countries in the world. And again, I suppose it, it, part of me at that stage was, it was like a tick list. I had my degree, I only scraped it, but I was thinking, oh, I could do something, my degree, I need to, to, to do a career. Right, I'm going to go to Malawi, I'm going to raise some money. This is another tick list, a bit of charity work. Um, and I didn't realise it would really just transform my whole life. So we cycled across Malawi, went to many projects, went to a women's resource centre, we went to a farming centre. And what I just grasped was when you were like cycling on the road, because obviously the transport, not really, there's no infrastructure there, all these children would be just running along with you with the biggest smiles on their faces. And there was a kind of happiness and a joy something in some ways I don't think we can understand. Um, and it was just a beautiful place to be in, in terms of that moment. Obviously there's lots of hardships there and I don't want to, you know, there's lots of um, extreme poverty. Um, and then, you know, there was, we went to one centre where a woman had been raped, her crops had failed, and it put so much into perspective, but in some ways it became, those three weeks after a while it became the norm but it wasn't until I got back to Manchester and I was working at Adidas at the time in management and I sat in the city centre. We just had a trainer delivery. And before I'd gone there, I would have been like, oh my God, I'm going to get this pair. I'm going to get that pair. Um, And it was like, I had an out of body experience. Like all my colleagues were like, I'm getting this pair. And I didn't want to make a judgment because they hadn't seen what I'd seen. But for me, it was just, they were just material objects. They didn't mean anything. They just had letters on them and um I was just like right I've got to do something with my with my life what's the world about and I I suppose on conclusion I realized that life is really short and I I believe that we're really here to help each other and a connection between human beings is like a really beautiful place to to start with so I wanted to do a job firstly that made a difference and and um it gave back in some ways because seeing the stuff that I'd seen in Malawi, I realized how privileged I was and it was my time to give back. So that's when I changed careers and started working with children with special educational needs. Um, And then I did some research. I really wanted to go back to Malawi. Um, So I found this little project called Friends of Malangi Orphans that support four and a half thousand orphans in the South in Malangi. And it was a Preston based charity run by a lady who's Malawian and her husband's from the UK. So I met up with them. And in 2009, I went back to Malawi to visit their projects. And I just fell in love that one all the donations, 100% were getting to the projects. I loved the the, the vision they had. Um, and I fell in love with the country and the people. And I just wanted to 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 tie in my running and adventure in a positive way um, and raise as much money and, and awareness as that I As I could and that was the start then of me leading on to the other stuff
0: wow I mean again we go back to that taking that bet who would have thought it would have been so transformative in your life both physically and mentally emotionally career-wise everything perspective changed just based on the bet it's 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 remarkable it's remarkable one of your epic runs that you did was you ran coast to coast in Africa looking back on that adventure what were some of your fondest memories other than the memory of just reaching the ocean, which I've seen the video of that other than that memory, what was your fondest memories of the trip?
1: That's a really good question.
0: Um, Cause there's
1: like, there's enjoyment of getting over that extreme pain, like day three where you're in a, in a challenge and you set yourself this like 4,000 kilometer run. And <laughs> what,
0: I, yeah, what I get myself into. Yeah.
1: And you, and you, you're not quite got your routine, right even though I had the confidence, because obviously I'd ran the length of Malawi several years before and the length of Great Britain. And it was just literally, Namibia was like 35 to 36 degree. There was just sand. I couldn't see a tree or anything to aim for. So in some ways that was a highlight. But I think if I sum the whole run up, we're in a world where there's lots of negativity and there's lots of um, blame and there's lots of, and I think we need more hope. So if I could sum up the whole run in one sort of, I call it the run of 98 days of kindness. And I think it's the people that I met along the way, the couple, the villages that welcome me with open arms, the connection with strangers, that people when I'm back here say, oh, was it safe there? How did you feel? And I'm like, everywhere I went, I was treated with the utmost respect. It was beautiful. I'm not saying there isn't lots of problems. There's lots of problems with crime everywhere, I'm not under an illusion, but all I can talk about, if I'm talking about solely that run is, was the 98 days of kindness from strangers that gave me me everything in some ways. And I will be always grateful for that.
0: 98 days of kindness. I mean, few get to experience anything of that measure. And I think that's just brilliant to hear. So your current project, your current project, you are running 1,204 miles in animal costumes. So what are the details? Why did you choose Chester Zoo? How many of you accomplished kind of what's going up to date on that?
1: Right. So my latest challenge was obviously we were all in lockdown and I was watching all these people doing crazy things like running a marathon around your, around your house yeah. for different things. And then um, obviously I've said earlier that I work with children with special educational needs um, and then I saw the appeal for Chester Zoo because obviously everything's in crisis because they haven't had the income. And Chester Zoo is one of the biggest zoos in the UK. And I think that, that's a problem when it's like this. It's such an inexpensive project to run. Um, so they lost three months in te- like, takings. Mm. Um, and they had this big national pill to save our zoo. And they've got amazing conservation projects as well. Um, and obviously I've been many years with the children that I've supported and adults over the last 10 years. I have an incredible, um, you know, love for wildlife and And then I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do something that's going to be fun. It's going to be something close to me. Um, I think zoos play a massive important role in conservation now. So I came up with the idea that I was going to run a half marathon every day in June and then the full marathon um, every day in July. And I thought, I want people, because we have had a tough year, I want people just to laugh, to smile and just bring a bit of humour to the streets of Manchester and Salford. So I came up with the idea that I was going to do it all in animal costumes. So there's a penguin, there's a bear, there's a rhino, there's a giraffe. And then today there's, um, I've got a chameleon, which is a very uh, multicolored, It almost yeah. like a rave suit, but with these big eyes. And that was just brilliant because some people are like, they look at you with your mouth open they're like, what is that? And then it breaks a smile. And I just <laughs> think, even if that person goes home tonight and thinks, do you know what, that was just fun. And that's kind of what the challenge is about as well as raising the money for Chester Zoo. It's,
0: it's incredible. I, I love that. It, you, have, you have different goals and different plans along the way if you're just making someone smile. It's almost your own 90 days of, of kindness. Currently, as you're in July, you're doing one marathon a day?
1: Yeah, so I've just done uh, the, my ninth marathon today. So yeah, so um, I've done nine in nine days. So it'll be 31 marathons in 31 days will be when I finish. And then I've got two days off and then I'm going to be running from media city which is where like the bbc and stuff is to the zoo which is 35 miles approximately or 55 to 60k in one go so that's the that's the goal so it's 31 marathons and then two days off and then a big ultra
0: unbelievable unbelievable prior to this endeavor what was the most amount of miles you had done in a in one duration
1: um the biggest run I've done is the Ultra Great Britain. When I ran across Britain, it was in a race. I mean, we did have sleep, like we were allowed to sleep, but was it was in cut off times. So it was still a race. So the people that, that won it, you know, most of them would go through the night. Um that was two hundred and eighteen miles. Mm. Um and I did it in eighty four eighty four hours or something. Um and then my longest actual continuous run is I've done 50 miles ultra before and then in my Africa run I ran a 40 mile day um which is pretty tough when you're running you know more than a marathon back to back so
0: yeah are you choosing different routes
1: yeah I'm I'm I have um different routes but almost I'm trying to keep the same in some way. so the the same people going to work will start to say oh god I saw that 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 rhino this morning what's happening and then you know then they find out they hopefully will donate but I'm keeping I'm just sort of rotating them each day so I've got same routes, but I'm just mixing it up a little bit
0: okay okay but it's, have... it's
1: really because the cars are beeping and the trams are beeping and the buses are beeping and people are shouting it's it's a great it's a lovely atmosphere yeah I like it
0: and do you have all of the animal costumes already purchased and set ready to go
1: yeah yeah I might get another one or two the trouble is it becomes a bit like Right, I'm bored of these now. Let's get another one. But now, I think I'm going to stick with the ones I've
0: got. Oh, incredible! And and I'm, I'm, I have got to see pictures of the chameleon. So, with with everything going, you've mentioned all the things that you love, and that you want to spend kindness, you want to spend love, you want to spend the joy of running, you want to improve things. But what is your why? Why? Why do you? Why do you feel that way? I mean, it's easy to to say, but it's also not easy to every day run a marathon. So, what is your why? What's your motivation?
1: Um. I think because I'm really passionate about my backstory that I was someone that I think would fit into the sort of middle ground of, you know, you want a job, you want to buy loads of clothes and you want to do all the things that we're programmed to do. Um, And I think I I love to try and inspire people to check, to move out of their comfort zone and to stop putting barriers up that you can't do something. And I, I would hope that my story represents that we are all capable emotionally and physically to go to that next level that you can push through those barriers, whether it's financial or just in your mind or a friend can't tell you. Um, And so I think that's a a massive reason for me. Um, I think for me, I was diagnosed with dyslexia and ADHD um, as an adult. And I really think that a lot, sometimes a part of it with me is I I struggle to read for long periods or watch TV for long periods. And I find that the running, because it's always moving, almost like years ago I used the dance music and the clubbing and I've used that non stop energy into into the running. Mm. So I think that's partly why I love to to do these challenges as well. But I also think it's important to, to make out to people that you should never compare yourself to other people. And you whether you're doing a five K or a marathon is as long as you know you've given it a hundred percent and moved out of your comfort zone, then the only version that is the best that you can be personally. And I think that's it's your journey, and it's not about being the fastest or the last. It's just being the best that you know that you've given it.
0: Oh, it's brilliant! It's brilliant. On the days that are a little sore, you're gonna. If you haven't had them yet, I'm sure they're coming. Uh, on those days, you're not quite feeling it. It's just a little slow. How do you get yourself out of bed? What's what? What's the task to get over the, the hump?
1: Yeah, I had um two mornings ago. Was probably, and um, I had a, one of those days. Um, I suppose through it's slight experience that you know that you know it will pass and it's sometimes the harder days that you know that you'll learn the most about yourself because the days you run well you just run well so um yeah no it is it is tough and and it's harder in some ways this challenge is it is, is a bit harder than like say my Africa's one runs because with the Africa runs you're going you're, you're going across a map so you feel like you're getting somewhere where this yeah. one this one it's like I'm running from my house so I've got to get the motivation or if it's raining or something, I could say, well, I'll just do it tonight Mm -hmm. because I've got lots of comforts around. So it's testing in in some ways, but I just think that yeah, the costumes and making people laugh and just going out and just being silly. That's a massive motivator. And I just, um, when it's getting tough, I tend to just try and maybe adapt the the route to a busier road. Then you get some beeping and, and then just stay relaxed and think, do you know what? I'm, I'm I'm raising the money and I've just got to take it one step at a time and you just strip it back and don't think of the, the whole challenge itself. Just think, even if I do 10k now and I have a break, that's fine. And I'll come back out and do another 10k. Just don't stress out. Just take that one step and it's one step closer to that goal of that day.
0: Oh, brilliant. And I think that's a great point that this one might be harder because you've got your bed right there. You could at, at any point, you could just be like, you know, I'm just going to go and sit this day out. No one will care. No one will know if I only do 30 or 31 days. But I like your point of seeking out other people to kind of motivate you. I know when I've done runs or a marathon, any of those people on the side giving high fives, I always sought them out because especially in times where I was I was struggling. When you run in any any event, a half or, or a full, you've got time before and after to replenish, to get yourself, not just necessarily physical shape, but to replenish the, the food that you need, the calories lost, the, the liquids. But when you're doing it day by day, you have such a shorter time span to replenish your body. So how are you handling the fact that you've got to replenish every day? Because that's not a lot of time to get yourself in optimal shape.
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think what's important is I tend to eat a... Uh a much bigger evening, like I graze all evening. So I have like lots of carbs and like pasta dishes and bread and garlic bread. And then I, I have snacks throughout the sort of the evening. So I have like a bag of popcorn because sometimes it's quite hard to get the calories yeah. when you're running back to back. Cause sometimes you feel a bit sick as well. So mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't always feel like everything. So at the moment on this one, I'm actually eating quite a lot of cereal, which is working well and porridge and then and then during the day i would have like so i do my first session of sort of the half marathon distance and then i'll have like porridge or something lighter and just sort of snack on smaller things that aren't going to upset my stomach through the day um and then the evening is like or because i've then i've got obviously all got all night to to sleep so mm-hmm. i i've been sort of i just pick food or like evening toast peanut butter and jam um and just stuff like that and then have like a big meal so then I, I know that I'm really full and ready to go in the morning, basically. Um, I drink, like at the moment, what's working is Coca-Cola and LucasAid. I do, I tend to, again, I think it's, it's finding things that work for you, isn't it? Um, yeah. But that's what works, works for me quite well. And lots of like salty crisps, because obviously you're sweating a lot. So it's just trial and error. <laughs> how's, how's,
0: the, how's the sleep been? Are you sleeping better, worse, the same?
1: It's really interesting, actually, because when I'm training for just in general, I can sometimes have quite broken sleep, and sometimes you can be. If I run in the evenings, I think you're then too awake to go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. But, but this this challenge, I'm sleeping really <laughs> solid. <laughs>
0: I bet. I bet. <laughs>
1: like a little baby. <laughs>
0: oh. Man is fantastic. I, I wish. It, what's what's the outfit for tomorrow?
1: um i think i'm gonna wear the chameleon again
0: okay okay cool. i'll send
1: i'll send it to you because they wouldn't let me play no i posted it on twitter okay um um it's really stupid it's me dancing in it um in the lounge um but it's um i like it because it's like a rave suit like yeah, yeah. um but no it, it's cool and it's quite it's um got short sleeves on my arms and, and it's short on my legs so actually I feel like it's actually apart from the head's the whole chameleon head um my arms and legs actually feel quite free so I actually feel quite re- relaxed running in it where the rhino and the giraffe are all quite quite restricted
0: ah oh, I love there's it. there's
1: some man. serious chafing going on I can tell
0: you <laughs> oh. next up Dave Cornthwaite the yes man He has a yes tribe and he lives on a yes bus. He values new experiences, visiting new locations and meeting people for the first time. He has a tremendously positive outlook on life and we were super lucky to have him on the show. Well, and I think one of the first things that you did differently is that you traveled to Uganda as a teacher. So what were some of your favorite memories from from Africa?
2: Matt, that's a really nice pickup because I... I rarely talk about that. You know, I I had a really bad time at secondary school. I was I was bullied for for years and years and it was it was horrible. It was horrible. It's a time I'd never choose to go back to. And I knew that I I needed to to find out who I was. I, I and the only way to do that is to get some perspective and and travel. You know, that was that was my way out. So I I worked in a kitchen over the summer holiday after I finished school. Uh, Just cleaning pots and pans for six months so I could raise enough money to get out to Uganda on a volunteerism project Which these days I'm not that much of a fan of but at the time it was it was such a reward to Jump on a plane and then eight nine hours later land in a completely different climate uh, Completely different people completely different attitude to life completely different traffic You know the the whole thing was just an adventure and it opened my eyes so widely uh i loved it i spent six months in uganda you know a couple of those i was teaching in a school way out in the east near this town called umbali i remember getting on the local taxis the matatus and passion fruit were like three pence and i bought a sack of them for for long journeys back to the capital kampala uh, i had my first girlfriend on that trip which i never thought i'd have as a young ginger growing up and uh Yeah, it really did kind of bring me to life. It gave me some confidence, which, sadly, I suppose, I went back to university after that, and I kind of forgot. I forgot a lot of that, and it it took me another five years or so to wake up.
0: (laughs) Well, there was a couple things that stuck out at that. You mentioned perspective. Travel gave me perspective, which is just an underrated aspect of travel. But you mentioned being bullied. I want to know, at the time, obviously, this was something completely negative, and you didn't probably see any advantages of it but looking back, I'm sure there was, what did you gain from the bullying when you look back on it now?
2: Uh, a lot. I'm, sh- I, I'm, I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm. P- resilience uh, is one thing, you know, you, you, you learn and these aren't always healthy techniques, but at the yeah. time, you know, I was, a I was from 13 to 17, I was, uh, I was being physically and emotionally bullied at uh, different times. So I, I kind of I learned to avoid the stuff that I didn't like, in that case, the people, uh, as much as possible. Wasn't always possible. Uh, but certainly you, you become pretty resolute in yourself. Uh, there, there were times when I was right on the edge from, to not not carrying on. You know, I, there were a number of times I walked up. There was this bridge overpass from the boarding house. I've sent to boarding school to the main school block. And I'd get up in the middle of the night and stand on that bridge, just kind of casing out how high it was, how fast it would take to drop down in front of a vehicle, you know, all of this stuff and super morbid. And I, I was, I was pretty close, uh, a few times. I, and obviously I'm super glad that that didn't happen for my, for my family, you know? Yeah. But, not a nice place to be, but looking back, I think, you know, it teaches, it teaches you some kind of resilience. I, I, didn't, I didn't live a, a young life without bullying, so I don't know what I'd be like in comparison, you know, if I'd, if I'd lived, a, a, I guess, a kinder, kinder youth, but... Um, yeah, I'm. I'm sure it taught me to be stronger, and I don't think there's a coincidence that there's an awful lot of people who go out and do adventures like I do, long distance mm-hmm. trips, and they're they're redheaded. You know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they've all got to, uh, especially in England. You know, that's just a thing. If you're ginger, you you're just kind of an easy target. Uh, so I'm pretty sure all all redheads grow up wanting to prove something somehow. <laughs>
0: well, and. I think subconsciously there's one thing I picked up on you you mentioned that you made it a point to not be around the things you didn't want to be around because of that without that maybe kickstarted the the or the the desire to not conform and to kind of be your own person I think that might have been Maybe the inception of it. With that, one of your first big adventures. I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm psychologically breaking down. you just your whole life right now. This is what we're doing. So, <laughs> but uh, bring it. <laughs> um, but since, since then, one of your first big adventures was skateboarding across Britain, some 900 miles in just over a month. So, where the heck did this idea come from? And what were some of the reactions from your family and friends when you first said you're going to start this endeavor? Well, like I said, you know, I had this experience when I was when I was 19 going to Uganda and then I kind of fell
2: asleep for five years. I went to university, did everything that you're supposed to do uh, or not. I really didn't really go to many lectures. I just wanted to be there because I thought it was what you did. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know what to study, didn't care about that. And I ended up as a graphic designer after uni, uh, completely self-taught. And I was awful. You know, so I went for after university, I ended up doing this job where at the end of every day I... I had zero satisfaction. I wasn't very good at what I did. There was no real worth or meaning to the work. So I think even though I kind of wasn't emotionally uh, developed enough to realize that I needed meaning, there's a feeling, I'm sure, subconsciously in all of us, if we're not getting it. And I, yeah, I got to my 25th birthday and I just thought, this is crazy. I'm 25 years old, a quarter of a century, and I haven't done anything yet you know who am i look at all this time i've wasted and i i can't waste the next 25 50 years so let's let's see what's out there like i i broke it down on on the morning of that birthday why am i why am i just i'm lazy i've got a massive playstation habit i don't like work why am i making these choices why don't i know anything you know and it was because i was a no person you know, I just said no to every new opportunity because I was scared or I just wanted to go and play PlayStation, whatever it might be. And I was in this, you know, I was in a place, pretty low cost of living, Wales, Swansea in Wales. I, my job paid the rent, gave me enough disposable income to buy some DVDs and some games at the end of the weekend. And surely what else do you need apart from happiness, which I didn't have. So I, I decided then and there to say yes more. And that became this kind of silent motto for a good while. And it led me to meeting new people and becoming more social, uh, learning new skills and just going for stuff. And pretty fast life became rich. You know, I didn't spend time inside playing video games, at least not not all hours of the day. And one of those things was I tried a long skateboard. I love the idea of being a board rider, but I just never tried it before. So I... I tried this board and it changed my life. You know, just this long skateboard, one meter long. And suddenly the roads that I'd become so familiar with over six years, ha, they became new to me. And the, my whole perspective of my surroundings changed because I was traveling around in a brand new way. And it was, and I just thought, this is incredible. You know, if, if, if this happens in a place I know, what would happen if I, if I went further, went somewhere new? Two weeks to the day after stepping onto that board, I quit my job. I skated in. I, I had to put my keys on the desk and skated out of the building and decided that I'd try and do something different and new and skate further than anyone else had ever skated. And I had no right to make that. I don't know where the guts to come up with that kind of ballsy idea came from, but it just felt so natural. Let's go and get, get life. And my medium was properly random. It was, you know, this skateboard. So I warmed up the length of Britain 900 miles as you said just under learned how to look after my feet so I didn't get so many blisters realized that I could do something like that just and it wasn't because I was a good skater I wasn't you know I'd been on it for a few months when I started that trip but if you have got the time and the will you can do absolutely anything especially a long distance trip and I just needed to keep going on my skateboard and eventually I'd get to Land's End and that's what happened and then, you know, that first step, gives you so much confidence to do the next thing. And the next thing was crossing Australia.
0: <laughs> and we'll get to Australia in a second. But before that, I want to talk about Expedition 1000. Ex- seeking out a thousand mile trips using specifically non-motorized transportation. This plan is taking you around the world. It's, it's ongoing. What have been some of your favorite and most memorable days during this project? And where does an idea come from? Hmm.
2: Well, I, I'm a big believer in kind of theming your adventures. And I think limitations are really, really helpful and healthy. Uh, I think, you know, the world's your oyster. You could choose from anything. It's, it's so, so true. But after a while, you say yes to enough, enough doors open. You, you end up trying lots of things that you don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, harking back to what I was saying about being a kid and avoiding those people I didn't want to be around. Uh, that's exactly the same with, with with life. You know, happiness isn't about just doing what you want to do. It's about avoiding the stuff you don't. And you only know that by trying lots of stuff and failing and making mistakes and and stepping away sometimes. So I did two journeys, the skateboarding across Australia and then a couple of years later, and we can, we can wind back to this, uh, I'm sure, but then I kayaked a long river. And after each one of those first two trips, I was just, I, I was massively depressed. I'd found exactly what I wanted to live for. The beauty of slow travel, of being outside all the time, having a story, having a meaning every day, even if it was just personal, getting up, skateboard under the arm, looking right and left down the road and making sure I went the right way and then just carry on going. It was awesome and so beautifully simple. It felt freeing. And then when the journey finished, I didn't have a focus anymore. You know, finish line reached what am I supposed to do now? You know, what does life look like? I can't go back to that desk and Mm -hmm. design bad websites and newspapers. There's just no way. I know that life is richer than that. So it took those two trips and those two kind of gray, dark, dark patches afterwards to realize that I needed what I was missing was a longer term focus. And then this idea of Expedition 1000 just bore fruit. You know, I'd, I'd done a big skateboarding trip. I'd done a big kayaking trip. I knew that I needed to somehow give myself an identity if I was to make some kind of meager living out of this stuff that I loved. And how do you, how do you pass a, a kayak trip and a skateboard trip? That doesn't make sense. You know, either you're a professional kayaker or you're a professional skateboarder. You can't be both. Uh, and I just thought, you know what, I can be both. I love variety and I'm never gonna be super good at one thing so I came up with this big project so everything made sense and it would keep me going for years and years and years and each little little package, each little journey, even though it was small by itself, would make more sense because it was part of something bigger. So that's Expedition 1000. I decided that I'd do 25 of these trips, each one at least 1,000 miles. You know if you travel 1,000 miles, you're going to have some experiences. It's not going to be easy all the time. It's going to be a good challenge, and you can't just tick them off in a a year. And and then the whole thing, (laughs) what do I do now? Uh, So, yeah. I've completed 15 of these so far. Each journey is using a different form of non-motorized transport. So it's a different kind of mindset, different set of muscles each time. I don't train for these journeys and I keep them incredibly cheap. So the first two weeks of each trip, I try the thing for the first time, usually when the journey begins, take two weeks just going really slow, working out where my gear goes, how far I can travel each day, how to balance. And then after, you know, four or five days on something, you get pretty good at it and then you're away.
0: Wow. Well, it sounds like when you had the the post-Endeavor Blues, you made the switch from destination goals to journey goals. You realize it wasn't just finishing something, it was turning yourself into a lifestyle. And I think that enabled you to, to just be happier and to just fully embrace the project. I think it's fantastic. With grueling trips like these, they can take a bit of toll mentally and physically. But with that, how do you ensure, you mentioned that you don't really train for it per se, but how do you make sure that you are at your top physical and mental fitness prior to starting a trip
2: uh so the mental and physical are, are split i don't physically train because i think if you physically train for for a big trip you're exhausted before you start you can't train for a three thousand mile skateboard <laughs> journey except yeah. for to make sure that you can balance on a skateboard uh i do done a you know, a few months of skating before I started my cross, cross Australia trip, but down the line, out of the 15 journeys I've completed 11 of them, i would never tried the, the mode of transport before the day journey started. And that meant just going, re- I'm really, I'm not a risk taker, you know, I'm super cautious. And those first few days are cautious. If you're flying down a hill, pull on the brakes, you know, don't go too fast. And and eventually you just become more adept and you know your limits. And I I I don't cross my my limits. It's really, really rare that I'm out of out of control. So that and that's part of a mental game as well. I if I set myself a challenge, I know it's going to be really hard at some point. Because if you go into something just thinking, oh, I can do it, whatever, and you don't think too much about it, when it gets hard, you pull out if you're not there for the right reasons. Uh, so mentally, I'm just, you know, I make sure I've got the right gear, your, your brain and your mindset are the best safety equipment you can have, uh, and then pass those with the physical stuff. And yeah, I, I, I know that when I start a trip, there's a really, really good chance that I'm going to finish. You know it's, and, and I may make a bunch of mistakes down the way. I love that stuff. I approach all of this all of this business with with a journalistic attitude. and for me, if there's something that's going supremely wrong, that's more exciting to me than crossing a finish line after 3,000 miles because it's it's a better story. It's just part of that process. And I just live day to day now and uh, and, I, and I take each journey as it comes, you know, if I don't know where I'm sleeping, and it's the the sun's going down. If I just have to lie down on the floor somewhere and sleep badly for the night, so be it. You know, it's not the end of the world. And I I love I love the richness and color that that these journeys throw up.
0: You mentioned that during a trip, you're you're pretty confident that you're gonna finish that trip. And you've mentioned some of your mental practices as far as knowing, not worrying about things like like you just said. I'll sleep wherever the heck I need to sleep. It's okay. One night's not the end of the world. Hmm. That's easy to say, but how do you actually fulfill that? How do you actually do that in practice? How do you keep your energy and motivation when there are times? I know that there are times when you're just like, oh, sod this. Like, what am I going to do? Like, hmm. I, I can't. Hang. How am I going to keep my and my energy slash motivation up during that trip? How do you actually do it? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and
2: I, I don't really have a direct answer other than I'm doing these things. Cause I know I want to do them uh, regardless of all of the, the crap you've got to deal with. And it's actually so much easier to do something than it is to talk about it. You know, the biggest, the biggest fears come from a distance. So I, I worry way more before a trip when I'm planning than I do in the middle of it. When I'm facing that thing I was once scared about, but now it's just part of the journey. So it's okay. There's no need to worry about it. I've just, it's just something I've got to deal with whether that's, you know, flying down a steep hill and thinking man if I don't hold the brakes on I'm gonna come off here and hurt myself bad or or looking for a wild camping spot you know last thing at night uh encountering someone who is overly aggressive which you know definitely isn't my bag all you know any number of different things you just find a solution that's that's you know being able to adapt is the key is success for me that's the definition and and by putting yourself in all of these situations, you know, slowly I realized that I could I could deal with pretty much anything. And that's because I was well practiced at it. And it, it didn't mean I needed lots of great skills. I'm still a massively unskilled human being, <laughs> but I, I'm definitely more skilled than when I started. Uh, I won't take all of the, all of that credit away but I'm not, you know, I'm not army trained. You know, I'm, I I haven't been through any kind of major, major courses in my life to do anything that I've done. I've just kind of learned by doing. And, and most of it comes down to a mindset of, I don't know how to do this, but I need to for whatever reason. So I'm going to find a way. And it really is that simple.
0: You know, I, I love how your talk on adapting. I love how you said you know you don't necessarily know all the answers, but you're going to figure it out. And I think that is oh so just important in your life because you're not going to stress about little things. You're just going to figure it out. The time to be nervous is before you place your bet, not after the wheel is spun. And I think you're you're living that. And I think that's it's just it's just wonderful. It's fantastic. Back to Australia, you wrote a book on the experiences on. I'm going to mention. I make sure I focus that it's on one of your Australian endeavors because there's been more than one. But you wrote the book on one of the endeavors. Where did the idea to actually write the book and You've done all these other amazing things. Do you actually enjoy the tumultuous process that comes with writing a book? Mm.
2: I I love writing. Uh, it's you know it was one of my first loves. I did it a lot when I was when I was younger, uh, and and of course you know the ability to write is is so much nicer when you have a story to tell. Uh, certainly for me, and you know there's there's everyone's got a great story. Uh, well, everyone's got the potential to have a great story, let's say. You know, so many people, when they hear I've written a book, they're like, oh, I'd love to do that. I've got a book in me. And I'm thinking, for now, that's exactly where it should stay. <laughs> ouch, <laughs> ouch, ouch.
0: I will say, I will say that the, the tagline of the show is that everyone has a story, each person is scholars.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you, I, I, I think driving yourself to a point where, you know, you've, you've got a great story, you know, it's a beginning, middle, yeah, and end. Yeah. It's so much real exciting and definitely easier to write a book uh when when you've you've got that great story to tell and i felt so privileged one to have had this little confluence just in my mind and decided to go down one road and it it led me you know the length of britain and then across australia on my skateboard and on the way i was writing it was it was this was 2006 so bef- just before facebook was was available and i was writing a blog on my on my self-built website and because it was such a quirky trip lots of there were lots of kind of newspapers magazines and media following and and now and then doing an article and at some point a publisher in london had seen seen a newspaper clip about my ongoing trip and they'd followed and read my blogs throughout those 5 months across australia and then when i got to the end you know just a couple of hours in fact it was it was less than half an hour after i finished that trip in South bank in Brisbane, I got a call from this publisher saying, well done on finishing. We we won't keep you, you know, it's the day of of celebration. We want your book. And it was that simple. You know, I didn't have to send out a manuscript. I didn't have to go through that, that really, really difficult process of writing a book and not really being sure whether anyone would read it. Uh, Self-publishing was much harder back in the, the mid noughties. And that was, yeah, that was all I needed, you know. I had this story to tell. I absolutely had to tell it, and uh, you're right. It's tumultuous. It's hard. I, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote it in that post-expedition depression, in that in that blue state. And that's, uh, I suppose, if you write if you write a book that fast, it's it's going to happen. Um, and yeah, you have to relive everything. It's harder to write the book than it was to do the trip. I think.
0: I, I think I would agree on that. Simple question, complex answer. But why is it important to say yes more often?
2: Uh oh, simple answer. Every time you say yes, you end up either pleasing somebody or you please yourself. You learn something new. It opens a new door. Might be one of those things that you know you, you're never going to touch again because you didn't enjoy it, and that's fine too. That's that, just set, that sets you up down the line. The more you say yes, the better at saying no you become as well. You know, the key is to find these these hell yes. When you when you come to a decision point, you know what you're good at, what you need because you've done it enough beforehand. So it's a great way to start, you know, to go and what the hell, let's, let's go and do this thing. Uh, forget the fears, forget the potential failures and mistakes. Let's just go by saying yes, more, you, you become a better human <laughs> simply. And why wouldn't we, I'd, when, when we're supporting a soccer match, what do you shout when your team scores? You don't shout no you know when you hit a good shot in tennis <laughs> when something amazing happens when there's just a general life win you sh- you scream yes no one screams no you know not in the right place and i I'd, I'd so much rather focus on the things that i'm going to do and that i'm invested in than the things i'm not it's that simple it's it's a mindset
0: there's a valuable and fantastic perspective especially the sports thing yeah you you you, you cheer yes and it's it's subconsciously we yeah we don't probably understand the power of it now currently and maybe only for a short term longer. You're living on a boat in London. Gosh, what an amazing, just, I got to say that sentence one more time because (laughs) you know, there's some sentences in life that are just gold literature standards and saying, this is Dave. He lives on a boat in London. I feel, you know, as one of the best sentences I've ever even spoken, what are the benefits of living on water? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I, I dig it and, and
2: and I get that feeling you know it's it's I, I've never I've never been drawn to you know your typical home and maybe that's in line with just choosing a, a weird lifestyle uh, but one you know it's a little cheaper to to live in something that isn't bricks and mortar and that's always that's always a good thing in my book two I, I really like that exposure to the elements you know I, I love being outside I love wild camping and being on my way and feeling like I'm part of nature in a way. And then, of course, you know, we 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 need a place to rest our heads now and then and to have home. Well yeah, for three years it was it was a boat with my with my girlfriend and now wife Ems. And actually we're in the process of selling that now. So we're currently uh, we're living on a double-decker bus, which is just the same. I love it. <laughs> it's know? the
0: second best sentence I've ever heard about a place living in London. It's first is the boat, and secondly, double-decker <laughs> bus.
2: I'm torn. I don't know which is cooler. <laughs> I
0: saw a glimpse. I saw a glimpse of the bus. He's got fantastic weather behind him, but in front of him, you have what I like to consider the best piece of art that anyone can have in any type of of domicile, and as the bookshelves. What yeah. are what are some of the first books that you are most proud of sitting on your bookshelf? I should,
2: I guess preface this by saying the yes bus uh, came out of a community that I formed after a bunch of adventures. Yeah. And this is a, this is a community base camp. Usually it's, it's home for now during this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, but the, the library just as everything else in our, in our community and our tribe and the bus is, is brought together by, by the tribe. So yeah, there's every book in there is from a different kind of a, either a different person. Maybe the authors signed it and put it in there or a member of our community has thought this fits the the adventure library. And they've written a little note themselves in there and they brought it. So we've had hundreds, thousands of people visit this space. And uh, every every time someone leaves, they they leave a book behind. So oh, there's so many. I don't know. You know, I might have a couple of mine in there, but it's it's great seeing all of these names especially people who visited the bus, Yeah, you know, that's, it's uh, it's, it's lovely being surrounded by people who've, who've got stories that have then turned into books.
0: I'm stopping by later this, this year, I'm stopping by.
2: Always welcome.
0: We, we, we talked a little bit about this, but I wanted to go back. You mentioned not knowing where you're going to lay your head at night, not knowing where you're going to wake up and, and just the uncertainty. I feel like it's such an important thing for life because uncertainty right now part of the thing that scares people the most about the pandemic is the uncertainty Mm. they don't know how long it's gonna last how's money am i gonna go to work blah 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 can i do this there's so much uncertainty that actually is the most difficult thing but on the flip side of that uncertainty is a good thing because it is the uncertain aspects that drive you to come up with your own solutions your own answers and it's where creativity is fostered and, and begins what is your personal philosophy on the value of uncertainty? Not knowing where I'm going to sleep at night. Why is that an important philosophy for you?
2: It's life. Nothing's, nothing's certain. You might be in a job right now, but that might end tomorrow everything might end tomorrow. You know, it's, there's nothing certain about life, you know, even death and taxes, you don't know, (laughs) maybe taxes, but you can avoid them too. I don't recommend it, but you know, and death could come along tomorrow. It could be, could be 50 years down the line. Life is totally uncertain. And being able to deal with that means being willing to take, take responsibility for your, for your own stuff. Uh, I'm I'm not a political guy uh, and I, I think anyone who invests too much in politics, one, forgets who they are uh, because no one person is defined completely by, by the politics that they stand for or the politicians that they vote for or promote. Uh, and two, I think if you're too invested in politics, you end up placing the blame on those other people and mm-hmm. not taking enough responsibility yourself. And I think, you know, you can't be scared of uncertainty. If you're scared of uncertainty, you're just, you're scared of life. And if, if sometimes you feel like that, then, uh, it's really important to put yourself in, in situations which you're not comfortable with. And this, this could be your typical getting outside of a comfort zone, going on an adventure. It could be as simple as lying down on your kitchen floor and just seeing the place you live from a completely different angle, bugs life, you know, Mm. uh, all of these different perspectives, they layer up and make us stronger. They give us a better shell. So I, you know, I, I dig uncertainty. You know, I, I, I hate being kind of on a straight and narrow path and knowing exactly what's going to happen or at least thinking I do because it, it takes away my creativity. It makes me lazy. Uh, I, I think a good example is probably if I've ever found myself around, around somebody, maybe they're an expedition teammate or certainly in the case of my wife uh, where they're so much better at doing particular things than I am and they're there all the time. I'll end up just not doing those things and letting them take up take take over. Yeah. And it makes me really lazy in mm-hmm. areas. And eventually that laziness catches up. You know, we start to rust, don't we? Uh, so yeah, I think it's nice to be kept on your toes. Mm. Uh, and while this is an incredibly difficult time, this coronavirus pandemic, it's been devastating financially uh, for so many people, myself included. At the same time, you can't unbreak a leg. If something happens that you cannot change, you've got to deal with that stuff and just move on with whatever best way you can handle it.
0: Dave and Brendan, two amazing, amazing men from the UK, and we're extremely fortunate to have them on the show. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story, each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento.